Hey everyone, this is Nikki Delamont. I'm Annie Nikoloff. And this is the Two Nicks Podcast. This is our second episode and it's a very special one because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony is coming up in Cleveland. It's super special. Um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions took place in New York for the past two years. Nikki and I and Troy Smith all went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony last year in New York and it was so fun to explore the city. It was it was your first time in the city, right, Nikki? Oh yeah, everyone who knows me knows I don't really get out of Cleveland very often. I'm very much in my bubble here. Nikki's first time in the Big Apple. We had a hashtag called Little Nikki Big City. <laughs> <laughs> so appropriate, yes. And you know, we got to do all of the fun experiences, all the fun food, some pizza and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yes, all the pizza. Got lost on the subway. Of course, it's like <laughs> a prerequisite for like your first time. Oh, we went to Google headquarters, found a Doctor Who bar. That was awesome. Yeah, just on chance. <laughs> That's like the kind of thing that happens in Brooklyn. You just stumble into a Doctor Who themed bar. And at like three in the morning. Yes. <laughs> Minor details. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but we did hit some like musical landmarks and things like that, you know, the whole road to the rock hall, doing our job type part. Um, yeah, the job part was kind of important, but, you know. It's the experience, right? Yeah. We're obviously very excited that the inductions, we, it just was announced not that long ago that it's going to be in Cleveland every other year now. Yeah, so, and this year is kicking off that new schedule. This year, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony takes place in Cleveland on April 14th. It is sold out, like everything is sold out with this thing. And they're inducting some pretty cool people. I guess we should list them off. Probably. Uh, <laughs> so we got Bon Jovi, The Cars, Dire Straits, The Moody Blues, Nina Simone, and Sister Rosetta Tharp. And after this is over, obviously leave us a comment and let us know, you know, who you're excited about being inducted. Obviously they did the fan vote and all of that this year again. But I'm definitely uh, interested in hearing who different people are, are interested in this year. Who are you excited about? A lot of people I know are extremely excited about Nina Simone and the cars are big to me. Sister Rosetta Tharp, of course, that's, that's a great induction that's very overdue. Dire Straits I love growing up, so that one is important to me personally. It's a really fun class, and it turns out that like these bands have such an influence in the city of Cleveland and on the music scene in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what this podcast is all going to be about today. Very special edition of The Two Nicks. It's going to be about how these artists have influenced Cleveland musicians. Absolutely, yeah. We've got a really eclectic group of musicians from all over the genre spectrum who are just kind of giving us, you know, their take on their first time falling in love with some of these bands and how you can hear them in their music today. And then later in this podcast, we're going to talk about some shows you can catch, shows that have to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, all of that. So if you're interested in still seeing some of those induction events, even though you don't have a ticket because it is sold out, or if you don't have a ticket to some of the exclusive events, there's still a lot of free stuff going on, and we're going to highlight some of that for you too. Absolutely. There's tons of events all over town that aren't just the formal actual induction ceremony so I think the Rock Hall has done a really good job this year just kind of getting it out into the community as far as you know free events and other fun kind of things from dance nights to community type stuff so we'll be filling you in a little bit on that after you hear from these musicians. Of course we decided to talk to musicians just because that's kind of the heartbeat of you know what the Rock Hall is all about is you know those influences that grow throughout your cities. You know we are 
going to dive right into some of our favorite bands around Cleveland who are going to talk all about their influences at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let's go. Hi, I'm Ray Flanagan. Uh, I'm a Cleveland musician, singer, songwriter, guitar player, make a lot of noise. At first, I don't I, you know, Dire Straits is like one of those things that you just hear on like classic rock radio. So it's like, you know, like he, like I don't really remember the first time. I just, I mean, I just grew up always hearing like Souls of the Swing and Money for Nothing. And those two songs, I think, are like the kind of things that like I remember from like being a little kid. But I, but always like that doesn't sound like anything else. Mark Knopfler doesn't sound like anything else. And his guitar playing and his guitar playing, I think, is the thing that stands out most forwardly to everybody. Like, He's got this this sort of strange, uh, unique blend of uh, English or Welsh or I don't know folk music, but then also like the country blues is in the way that he plays guitar, and then early, like sort of early rock and roll stuff too. As I've gotten older, I think uh, the thing that that he is uh, overlooked for is his songwriting, because I think lyrically he is 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 one of the best. He's one of the best that ever that ever wrote anything. And, like a song, Brothers in Arms, I was thinking about because this weekend I did this I did part of this program where I work with some veterans, and um, so I was listening to that song, Brothers in Arms, because I think it's this beautiful poem about war and about we are fools to make war on our brothers in arms. I just love that line. My name is Kia Rogers, and, um, and what I do, I play guitar in the band called Cotton Ponies. So I guess how I kind of came across her is some, you know, people like post, you know, these old videos and or you just kind of come across them on your own in terms of like, you know, history of rock music. And then there was always this there was always this one woman coming up um, with a choir behind her just shredding on guitar. And it's like, who is that? And why do I not know who they are? And that was Sister Rosetta Tharp. It was also not too long after I bought um, an Epiphone SG. She also plays an SG. So that was um one of the like standouts and it's also in terms of representation there are not a lot of black female guitar players playing the kind of music that she does that are um that you see very often in that period of time so that's kind of what struck me most about her both nina simone and sister rosetta tharp are both long long overdue in terms of getting inducted into the rock hall I perform under the name of Fee. I play bass Scruggs. I got acquainted with Nina when I was a kid. And let me say right here, I'm 63. So when Nina was in her heyday, which would have been like 68, 69, 70, I was like 13, 14, 15. And my mom really loved Nina Simone. She used to talk about going to see Nina Simone when we lived in Detroit and I was a little girl and Nina made all the white people go to the back of the of the concert hall or the club and that doesn't sound like such a big deal today but in the 60s because of segregation blacks were always at the back so when Nina made the white people go to the back and the black people come up front that was really affirming for that generation so she was always indicative of black independence, black empowerment at a time when that was really just becoming coming to the fore. I really fell in love with Nina around 1971 and the story is circuitous. I heard 
Young, Gifted, and Black. But I heard Aretha Franklin's version because she released it on an album called Amazing Grace. I was in college and we were we were playing that album. But when I heard the song, I felt like Nina was talking to me. And here's why. When I was a kid in 1962 in Nashville, they cherry-picked 18 of the smartest kids of the district. They gave us all IQ tests. And I was the only Negro girl in that group of 18. So I knew I was gifted. I knew I was young. But when I grew up, you didn't call people black. It was a slur. And when I was a kid, um, if we said somebody was black, we got whipped. We didn't get spanked. We got whipped. So to hear somebody say you are wonderful because you are young and you are gifted and you are black, all three of those together was just, it was beyond inspiring. I have to admit, I kind of scratch my head and smile about her being in the rock hall. I don't know how Nina would feel about that, <laughs> you know, especially as I have listened to that documentary and as I have listened to her later music because she was really, um, she was such a complex person. I don't, I don't know whether she would like the embrace, especially of rock and roll, because it's my understanding she aspired to be a classical pianist and she was denied entry to a conservatory because of her race. So, you know, I, I, I wonder about that. I'm glad she's in and that is bringing renewed attention to her on the heels of the documentary, which I think is great. I've been listening to her music in a much different way because I'm a more accomplished musician now. I have studied jazz since like 96 when I started taking classes at Tri-C. So I have an appreciation for jazz. I've been a gospel musician since I was 16. And so now when I listen to her music, I can hear everything she does. Hello, my name is Adam Spector, and I play guitar and clarinet in various bands in Cleveland, Ohio. All throughout my childhood, I really went through just these very specific, very distinct distinct phases with just obsessions. I would hone in on a certain band, plow through as much of their discography as I could find, just, you know, sift through uh, Record Town or uh, wherever it was. This is all mostly pre-internet, too, to try and find whatever I could, dig through my parents' record collection. And this would just happen with any band that I came across uh, in the earliest years, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, King Crimson, uh, Elton John, obviously the Beatles, The Who, Zappa, etc. And then at some point I locked in on the Moody Blues, the whole trajectory of growing up listening to, I suppose, psychedelic art rock more than anything else. It was just a really natural fit. It's just very captivating music. It, it's it, it a lot of it kind of sounds like it comes from as the the satanic English mills or whatever it is at the end of that Jerusalem song. And the cool thing about the band was that there, it was consisted of five unique, distinct songwriters, each of whom had their had these personalities. But I think it was the the one the one guy who ended up leaving the band, uh, Mike Pinder, his uh, the keyboard player who introduced like who was one of the first people to use the Mellotron regularly, which is just such a unique and incredible instrument. He wrote a lot of these like really sort of existential, brooding, psychedelic pop tunes that I really, I really enjoyed and still do. The psychedelic prog pop thing is something that I lean on very heavily when I write for uh, Heavenly Queen. 
you know, when I'm not just looking at bubblegum bands. It's like, who else from that era could I draw from? And uh, it's like, oh yeah, the harmonies or the, the song structures or anything like that, definitely coming from the Moody Blues. And then um, to look at the, the late Ray Thomas, who throughout the entirety of the bands, the whole 50 years or however long, he played just flute the entire time. And uh, recently went on tour with, uh, with Ricky um, and our, uh, our newest project, uh, Ricky Hill and the Void Boys. And I just played clarinet uh, the entire tour. And that's, that's my only function in the band is, is clarinet. And, you know, I'll borrow the treatments and stuff from, like, you know, the way that Eno messed with Andy McKay's saxophone and oboe and Roxy music. But just the way Ray Thomas did it, he played flute in the band. He was never, like, a he never went into these, like, Ian Anderson flashy solos as much as I love Tull. But, yeah, Ian Anderson would go into these flashy solos that lasted, you know, three, four, five minutes. Ray Thomas very rarely, if ever, did that. And his, his work was a lot more decorative very pastoral and stuff like that and that's something that I you know when you're looking at a, an instrument as linear as a woodwind you know you have to figure out ways to keep it fresh and unique so he's one of the one of the people I definitely look toward it's funny because when I was a, when I was a kid too actually probably around the time I w was into the Moody Blues uh, my folks took me on we went on a family trip uh, to Cleveland Ohio but I mean we went to the Rock Hall in Cedar Point and just like me even then at the Rock Hall at age like 11 or 12 I was like where are the Moody Blues Where's Jethro Tull? Yeah, my younger self uh, thanks the Rock Hall. You know, the Moody Blues are, are very much of, of their era and of a, a very spe specific time and, and place. Listening to them, you know, in like the, in the digital global age and, you know, in like this kind of nightmarish world that we live in right now, it, it often seems it's just nice to go back there for a bit. Hey, I'm Ricky Hell, and uh, I run Quality Time Records and play in bands in Cleveland, Ohio. So my mom is a big Cars fan. Um, she like came of age in the 80s with like New Wave, so she was really into them. And she went to Kent, and they're like a big pub rock, power pop, New Wave, like bar rock band. So when I was like trying to play drums she got me a tape of the cars and was like, if you just learn how to do this, you'll be able to play in like every cool band. So I just like started jamming them like so heavy. I'd already heard them and liked them, but you know, playing drums along to them was like the best thing ever. And it taught me how to like drum. And like, I just think about how fun they are because they're a great palate cleanser. When you listen to like deeper stuff or when I do, it can send me into like weird places, but then the cars are like the perfect thing to bring me out of it. Like a good example is like on the road, we listen to Steely Dan a lot. And Steely Dan is awesome, but sometimes they take it like a little too dark maybe, like in Katie Lied and like Haitian Divorce. And it's really good to just like listen to the cars to get back to center and just think about what's really important. I look at them like they're like, the Ramones of New Wave, because they brought like a tough element to it. I wish that Benjamin Orr was around to get inducted as well, but I think that they deserve it for sure. Rick Ocasek is, I, in my opinion, one of the best songwriters ever. It's 
So now that we've heard from a couple of musicians around town, we wanted to let you know about a couple events too, so everyone can be part of the induction ceremony with all these events that are going on around town. And all the ones that we're talking about are like completely free. Some of them have free entry to the museum, like free shows, free music. I love free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have these activities for kids, you have these events that show the bands talking about their histories but then there's also a lot of like celebratory events too and the biggest one that the rock hall is doing is on april 7th which is their annual celebration day that goes on all day long from 10 a.m to 11 p.m and luckily this is the day after the indians home opener so it won't be as crazy downtown but it's still going to be kind of crazy downtown um, they've got free admission to the museum live music fireworks once it's dark and then a week later, so one week after April 7th, is the day of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. As we mentioned earlier, that is sold out to the public. A lot of the events are sold out around it, um, and there are after parties and all of that. But if, if you're not able to make it into Cleveland, they'll actually be live streaming the red carpet ceremony on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's social media channels. And that'll be taking place from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. So you can watch online, you can see your favorite stars walking down the red carpet, and that should be pretty interesting to watch online. That's, this is the first year they've actually done this on their social media. So thank you everyone for listening to our second episode of the Tunix podcast. Um, obviously, we talked a lot about the Rock Hall inductions this time around, but if you go to cleveland.com, we have tons of coverage of concerts coming up, uh, new music premieres, and plenty of other coverage from the local music scene. And we will be covering the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony on April 14th. We'll have a live blog going, videos, photos, everything that you could want to see from that day, we will pretty much have on our website. So stay tuned for that. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening.